Princess. Prince William. Colors. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Prince William Colors. Today we'll be talking about the Royal Crescent. She did just do the two-line intro. I thought she would do something a little different and exciting, but she didn't, but it's okay. Um, yeah, so we're really lucky to have uh, Daniel Birdie here with us again. I feel like anytime we want actual information on something, we just go to him as opposed to doing our own research. Um, but why not? Uh, he's a local journalist. You guys probably heard him on our episode five and six. And he talked to us about the JDC. Today, he's going to be talking to us, as Chloe said, about the Rural Crescent. So um, thanks so much for being here with us. Sure. Anytime. So I guess to start off, let's talk about the history of the Rural Crescent. Like, where did that term come from? Yes, uh, sure. Um, so the Rural Crescent is actually, that's its sort of colloquial name. Um, it's actually called the designated rural area. That's like the county's terminology for it. Um, but locals call it the rural crescent because it is shaped like a crescent. It was created in 1998 as a tool to reduce sprawl um, in, in Prince William County as the county was growing. And, um, and since then it has remained unchanged um, and within the Royal Crescent, you are only allowed to build uh, one home per 10 acres. That has been the rule there since 1998, has not changed. And um, yeah, and now the, the conversation is underway to possibly, you know, allow some exceptions to that rule. What percent of the county is a part of the Royal Crescent? Uh, it is 54% of the county's total land mass. So it includes uh, the um, marine base um, at Quantico, and it includes the uh, Prince William Forest Park and Manassas Battlefield, as well as all this land in the um, middle, kind of mid-county and western side of the county. So um, it's 54% of the total land mass. Um, the other 46% is the development area, and that's where most people in the county live. Um, so there's probably about 450,000 people live in this area called the development area. And about 27,000 people live in the rural area. So roughly about 5% of the county's population lives within the rural area, even though it makes up a pretty large part of the, the county. That's, that's insane. I mean, just, just numbers wise, without any kind of like a, you know, judgment on either one. So 54% of the county is essentially non-developable, essentially. Yeah, well. And 46% yeah. is where any new development that comes has to be in that 46% based off of the 19, 1998 idea. Yeah, so um, I mean, you can develop, there are certain developments that happen in the rural area, but it's it has to be in, you know, in this 10 acre lot, um, residential 10 acre lot formula. So, um, you know, people do sell their land, like large lots of land there, and they split it all up into, into 10 acre lots. Um, so that has kept the population really small. Um. I'm just thinking of the debates that go around developing and the rural crescent and thinking about that percentage you just gave us, like 5% of the people in our county live there, yet it seems like a huge population of folks that are arguing to keep the rural crescent uh, rural or un 
underdeveloped in that way. And so I'm just wondering how that works with such a small population living there, but such a large population advocating for them to not be affected by any new developments. Yeah. And on that same note, I think I, w- I would love to do like a study of like the people that speak at public comment time or like on these things to see how much of the 5%, like they probably have a 90% response rate to those meetings, like where they show up, which is just insane. Um, but yeah, that's a, I, w- I wonder about that too. Yeah, it's, um, they're very well organized. So that is the first thing. They are the, you know, it, there's a relatively small population that lives out there, but there's a lot of folks who I think have the time and the resources to, you know, devote to uh, showing up and writing emails and organizing folks to go out uh, and speak at the um, Board of Supervisors meeting. So they, their presence is like very loud. For sure. They've been doing it a long time too. So it's like, you can look at news articles from like 10 years ago and they'll feature some of the same, the same people that are involved in the discussion now were involved like 10 or more years ago. So speaking of the people, I think my question is how many of those people are like, you know, lifelong county residents or like people that have been here since 1998? Because listening to the last board meeting and a couple of the board meetings before that where rural crescents come up, some of the people are like, well, that's why we decided to move here. You know, we bought a house here, like, you know, that's why we decided to move here from the north or wherever they moved from. Do we have any demographics or anyone looking into like a study of the demographics of the rural crescent? Um, I don't know. I think it wouldn't be too hard to piece that information together, probably for like the county. So that's a really good question. I mean, I know a lot of people have moved to the rural area like in the last decade or two. Uh specifically because I think, you know, it's, um, you can get those 10 acre lots like fairly cheap for, you know, for 10 acre lots, like it's cheap. I mean, they're, they're you know, uh, a lot cheaper than something you would find like in, I guess in like Fairfax or something. So they are like relatively cheap if you're, you know, if you have that kind of money. Um, and so, yeah, I think a lot of people have moved there in the last 10 years. That's why it's all getting, you know, all that area is getting broken up into these little chunks, you know. Um, Wait, what's relatively cheap, do you think? Well, rel- not like personally, as in like, what does Daniel Birdie <laughs> think is like cheap? Let's find out what his net worth is. Um, so like, <laughs> if you go into the county mappers thing, and you, you can click around and kind of find, um, just look at what different homes are selling for or what they sold for. And a lot of them are like 500 or 600,000. And they're on a 10 acre lot. So they're like a big house on a 10 acre piece of land. And I guess, I mean, that seems real, like I said, relatively affordable housing here, isn't that? <laughs> right. Yeah. Not, I definitely would not call it affordable, but, um, <laughs> but no, no, I hear you on that. But the reason I ask that is because a lot of times, like they talk about the fact that like um, uh, this new, the, the development that just was approved last, last board meeting. Well, some of the speakers were talking about the fact that, well, these are almost a million dollar houses, right? 750000 and up for those houses. And they were like, this isn't affordable housing. Like, this isn't smart growth, all of that stuff. And I wanted to ask, okay, yes, but like going from like the $500,000 that you have to spend on a 10 acre lot, that's also not affordable housing. So that argument's kind of moot. It's not like if we leave the rural crest the way it is, that's also not affordable. And these new developments obviously are not either. So that's why I was asking about the prices of the housing. No, yeah, it's a, I mean, that was like a big to do over the preserve was, you know, people saying, well, including the Democratic supervisors saying, this is like somehow more <laughs> affordable than normal. But um, 
haven't really gotten a good response from anyone on, you know, what, what the rest of the housing, like the median prices are compared to that. So yeah, it's a good, that's a good point. I mean, certainly right now there is not really anything you would describe as like an affordable housing out there that I've seen personally, that's anecdotal, but nothing like, you know, a college student or right out of college student could probably afford. Or I don't know, 10 years out of college students or afford (laughs) teacher could afford. Yeah. So speaking on that, um, these, these farmers that you, you had written a little, like you had tweeted about this as well, that people are saying like that people don't want developments to come here. The people that are from the rural crescent, it's not a monolith. There are, and we had, we heard one of those people that wanted to sell his land. I think he was part of that development deal. Um, what about them? The people that, that own these big, big lots that are chopping them into 10 acre pieces or, or smaller. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of farmers out there who are, uh, they, you know, I've talked to some of them and they say, you know, farming, number one, farming is very difficult. It's a difficult profession and it doesn't, you know, the profit margins are small and especially with factory farming, um, over the last couple of decades coming into, coming into play, they're not making a whole lot of money. And, um, a lot of them are saying both that and that just become more difficult to farm in the County because there's more traffic. Like one, one person had said to me, like, you know, I used to be able to just drive my tractor down the road because I have to take my tractor from this parcel of land to another parcel of land. I can't really do that anymore because people just get really mad at me because I'm driving a tractor at like 10 miles an hour down the road. So that was like one thing someone said uh, uh, at one point, you know, during these discussions. And um, yeah, so there are a lot of farmers who are wanting to move out and get away from uh, the county or maybe sell their land here and buy another farm somewhere else where it's a little bit more quiet or something. And some of the large lot landowners are also, uh, you know, actively seem like they're courting, actually are courting data centers um, on their land or other develop types of development and, and marketing is that kind of seems like in preparation for some of these changes that could be coming down from the board of supervisors. Um, so it's certainly not um, a monolith. Uh, you know, and a lot of these people have been there for a really long time. So Dale House, who owns, um, his family owns Dutchland Farms. They've been here for over 150 years on the same plot of land. And um, they're just like, yeah, we're ready to retire. Like, we're not doing this. You know, we don't want to do this anymore. But we don't, we want, basically, he told me that, you know, we would rather not have our property, this beautiful property that we live on, divided up into 10 acre lots and we would rather have it be, you know, um, you know, that we could conserve part of the land and have the rest of the land, but uh, for development um, and obviously money plays a big part in this. I'm sure they're seeing dollar signs. Um, so yeah, so there's, there's definitely multiple sides to this. I mean, there's people who want to protect it and there's people who just are like, it's a lost cause. Like, let's just, you know, let's sell and get out of here. Are there any, I guess, motivations besides just simply preserving the rural aspect of the rural crescent that people are arguing that it stay the way that it is and not be developed? Um, So the arguments that uh, I have heard are number one being the environmental and conservation aspect. Um, And then there is what, um, you know, I think Andrea Bailey had mentioned this um, at the last meeting, she said there's an elephant in the room here of of equity 
and she brought that up and I, I think that is really like the the thing that no one you know has really said out loud in this whole discussion I'm really glad that she had brought that up and since then I think um, some others have brought it up as well just the fact that you know there is this um, exclusionary kind of aspect to the rural area and um, you know I don't I have not heard anyone who is defending the rural area speak to these issues, however, um, but uh, it's definitely an issue. That's where it becomes problematic. And I think that's the meat of our discussion here is, is that, well, we're bringing up the elephant in the room, but um, because there is white flight that's happened in other areas. Lake Ridge did not look like the way it does today. Woodbridge doesn't look like the way it does today. Part of that is just people coming in and moving in, but there is a very real white flight. And I would love for the county to actually look into that or look into those areas that are now predominantly uh, non-white, whereas the rural crescent maybe has seen a shift, maybe it hasn't, I don't know. Um, but since the land stayed pretty unchanged, I'm guessing that the demogra uh, demographics have as well. And that's the issue that I have with the environmental protectionism is that the amount of effort and resources and mobilization that's being afforded to that side of the county, the Western side of the county or the rural crescent, we don't really see that here um, and then, you know, it's not like a, it's not just about like, let's save the trees, right? There's, you want to have public spaces, you want to have, you know, lower emissions, you want to have smarter, you know, energy sources for buildings. Where is all of that, I guess? I mean, that's not directed to you saying like, Daniel Birdie, why aren't you <laughs> arguing this? But yeah, um, well, so one thing I did want to bring up in, in relation to this, and you know, I know there's been a lot of talk about, for instance, like the west side of the county has, um, you know, uh, their schools are newer, I guess, um, you know, and that is something that I've heard kind of come up. Uh, the, the roads are newer, um, and where there's already been development, that's where there you, you might see some like infrastructure um, decaying, I guess. Um, so I have heard that. Uh, you know, in, in these discussions, like some of the supervisors have brought that up, but probably the biggest thing in terms of this discussion that I've, that I've come across is exclusionary zoning as the, you know, the definition of what that rural area policy is. Um, and so I've heard a couple of people say this now, including county staff that, you know, someone on county staff said, actually the planning director, former planning director, now she's the deputy county executive um, said that basically that policy is the definition of um, exclusionary zoning. Usually when you hear exclusionary zoning though, they're talking about, you're talking about like redlining. Um, and so you don't really see it as much used when you're talking about a rural area, at least not that I've seen. And um, so one thing that, that kind of came up was this exclusionary zoning um, discussion where, uh, you know, um, basically you have a very rigid um, housing or zoning policy for a certain area that is going to act as a barrier to having like a mix of housing types or a barrier to, um, you know, uh, lower income or middle income people moving into that area. And so that's like a big, and that kind of goes along with that equity discussion that, you know, how are you going to address um, having this kind of zoning policy? I think that's kind of what the board is doing right now is they're trying to figure out like, we, you know, at least the Democrats on the board, the Republicans on the board, I think want to just keep it the way that it is right now. Um, the Democrats on the board, I think are saying like, how can we achieve both our environmental goals and reduce sprawl while also sort of um, opening up 
our land use policy or changing our land use policy so it is not so uh, rigid and it's not keeping people out of, of this area. That makes sense. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, it's racism because you're preventing certain types of house, houses, like usually affordable housing built in a certain area and then that's like excluding some certain type of people to not come into the area. And when I hear the, as uh, Mr. Akbar mentioned before, when I hear the environmental aspect of it, I'm like, yeah, let's save trees, but let's also save our Eastern people because when we look at the data, the life expectancy of the Eastern side is way lower than the life expectancy of the Western side. And the environmental effects are so much like adverse on the Eastern side. So I don't know if, but Andre really said, like, we really need to look at through an equity lens. And yeah, yeah. And would it be okay if I, so I know we said like we were gonna, um, it'll be like a conversation. Is it okay if I also ask you all, you all questions as well? That is how conversations work, Daniel. Okay. Well, I was just making sure <laughs> you know, the, uh, <laughs> what the parameters were here. But okay, yeah. So, I mean, um, if you all have any anything else to add, I'm, I'm very interested to hear basically yes. kind of thinks on this situation um, specifically, you know, this equity uh, discussion. Look, I've been in this county all these years. That's what I feel like all the supervisors say. And they're like, I've lived here since before, blah, blah, blah. No, but honestly, so a hot topic right now, and uh, it'll be resolved by the time this episode comes out, but the mosque, the Darul Nur mosque, right? About its expansion. And then there's all these people talking about traffic, but nobody's talking about the actual issues that, you know, this after the, the building design of this mosque was essentially changed after 9-11. So it didn't look too much like a mosque, right? Um, the fact that there was the Gainesville mosque, there was so much opposition to that. And in that case, they brought up sewage, right? And they were like the sewer lines and blah, blah. Here they're talking about traffic and using that as a, you know, like a scapegoat. Right, exactly. As a scapegoat for those. And I just want to say, like, nobody looks at Hoadley Road between Dale Boulevard and um, Prince William Parkway and says, oh, that's rural area. That's, you know, a low traffic area. We want to preserve our way of life. You have a, you know, county you have a, right, you have a county complex on one side. And on the other side, you have, like, the intersection with Dale Boulevard, which is huge, right? And then you have two schools right up Spriggs Road. Like, it's it's not a, and so it's so frustrating and irritating to hear these arguments, right, about traffic repeatedly. And I think most of us just don't, if we even bring up this issue, we'll have responses like Supervisor Lawson's response, which is like, I really take issue with you saying that all the development has happened on the east side, whereas the west side hasn't. Or like, you know, they'll just get so offended that you're even bringing this up that it muddles the entire conversation. So I just, I, this is what, like the bottom line of this is that there's plenty of people. I mean, otherwise we wouldn't have the coalition for the protection of the rural crescent have the sons of Confederate veterans be a supporting role on this. That's a very real question. It's like, if you wanna, you wanna talk about environmental justice. Well, one of the things that we're learning in this time is that all of those have to be intersectional, right? You can't have feminism and not look at black women and what's happening to them. You know, the same issues don't apply. So you can't talk about environmental justice and how it impacts communities of color, which frequently are excluded from that very dialogue as well. Yeah. Does it seem um, to any of you, I mean, that there, the underlying issue that, you know, kind of that elf in the room, I mean, how kind of loud do you hear it when there's like this discussion going on, um, you know, and, and you're watching a board meeting and you're watching public comment time and they're talking about the rural area or I guess, uh, or Darl Moore too. I mean, does it just, um, is that what you're hearing, you know, 
uh, most is that there's like this underlying kind of um, something that's not being said out loud. I think for me, um, I was at the Download Town Hall um, organized by Supervisor Vega and some of the people did bring up the, you know, the rural part of uh, the Coles district where the, the mosque is located. And one of the comments was, I mean, since it's public, one of the comments was like, I don't want the dome on the building or is this too tall? Because as I'm driving down, I want to see the trees behind it. And to me, like, I'm like, I don't know if you want to preserve the land or is this Islamophobia? I don't know. It just, I, I was offended by that fact. So, and also when Supervisor Lawson and other supervisors, they bring up, up the fact that like the Western side has more, way more development than the Eastern side in the recent years. While Western side had the, has the capacity to have development, like Eastern side is, over, Eastern side is overdeveloped in so many ways. And I think they kind of paint the picture of like the Democrats or like everyone else who's like in favor of these land projects. Uh, wanting to make the western side like the eastern side. I don't think that's what they want. No one wants the western side to look like the eastern side. And eastern side should not be as developed as it is. But I don't know. To me, eh, all this seems like everyone is, you know, pinning their, I don't know what the idiom of the simile is. <laughs> Go ahead. What is it like tail on the donkey? I don't know. I think every single episode donkey. has had an idiom that we've butchered. Um, I would just say, you were talking about the overdevelopment of the eastern side and how they say that the western side is being developed more uh, that might be true but in my experience where I live I live in the Coles district like right on the border to where the uh, rural question actually starts and we've had like a new neighborhood built every single year for the past five to ten years I don't know how long it's been so I've seen development every single year and different shopping centers popping up every single year as well. And so when they say that we're not being developed as much or something like that, I just, that's not my experience. And so it seems like they're trying to just keep certain folks out of the Royal Crescent. Because when I think of the Royal Crescent and I'm looking at the people who are advocating for it to stay the way it is or not have as many developments as uh, some people on the Eastern side are projecting, I see predominantly white people. I don't. I don't see like anyone of color advocating for it to stay, stay the same or to be unaffected by the things that we're talking about. And I feel like that's a huge thing that nobody's really addressing out loud, or at least none of the supervisors at this time. Yeah, three things. One, as just as Chloe said, like and, and Ikra mentioned, like the development on the western side. You still have roughly 54% of the county that's not developed and a majority of that is on, like you just said right now, the Royal Crescent, that is on the Western end. We don't have that. We have Leesylvania State Park. We have <clears throat> parts of um, Prince William Forest Park and all that stuff, but largely you can just drive around. Like we don't need a statistical analysis and numbers. It's also about the lived reality of the people that are there. And if we're saying that this is overdeveloped, we've been to the Western side, it's not overdeveloped. <clears throat> that's, you know, that, that definitely has to be brought to note. The second thing is exactly the idea of like trying to exclude groups and, you know, you talked about like this, uh, by, by that I mean like Daniel, you talked about the fact that at the meetings when people are talking about preserving the rural crescent and we're getting this underlying sense that it's more about who you want to keep out of it as opposed to the land itself. Um, I would, I mean, just look at the uh, Facebook profiles, I'm sure, of these people that are speaking. 
I mean, that's that's an easy enough way to say it, right? Let's look at the other issues that they're also bringing up at when they talk about uh, issues with the county, right? It's because they align themselves with these other policies that give us no choice but to see them as people that that are essentially racist in a lot of ways. And I'm not saying every single person that's speaking about it is a racist. All I'm saying is like, there's a Facebook group for the Friends of the Royal Crescent. And that when there was a, a man named Brahil Sheikh, who I think also ran for office, I believe it was him, unless it was somebody else, because they kept calling him the Sheikh, right? Uh, nobody does that when, when you're, you know, the, there's clearly undertones of racial messaging there. The organization that, that happens around stopping mosques from growing or being built is not the same thing that happens when we've had mega churches put up into this county. You know, it's never been a county hot topic issue. And they'll say like, yeah, well, we oppose that. Yeah, you oppose that to a different level, right? You oppose that just to be able to say that you opposed it. Um, and so part of it's also, I have an issue with the Democrats. If, if this issue is not being brought up, I mean, we have four black people that are from representing the Eastern side of this county um, on the board. I need them to back their people. Like, uh, you know, we follow a similar, the same person. I don't even know how level, God, I don't even know how to reference this person, but essentially our professional note taker of the meetings um, on Twitter of a shout out to you. Um, but one of the things that had been said, it's nice to see the Republicans, like it would be nice to see, wow, somebody standing up for what you believe in um, and representing you, regardless of how vile that might be the things that they're sending up for, it's nice to see somebody being so impassioned. And we don't see that um, happening on the board. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I sometimes wonder if it's because of, well, just in, in the specific instance of the rural area. So I, uh, maybe not speaking for some other, any of the other issues that are going on there, but in, in the rural area discussion, it seems part of it is that none of them are actually have any um, land in their districts in the rural area. So it makes, yeah, for the most part. And so I think I have noticed, and not to mention that it's also their first year, you know, they're like people who have not really served in political capacity. And so I wonder, I'm always wondering if it's like, do they just feel like it's not their place to be speaking, you know, really candidly about this if, you know, there's, if, um, their constituents don't live in the rural area, but then of course you run into this problem because they're the take, they're taking votes on on um, issues that that impact the rural area at the same time. So, um, well, who yeah. do they represent? I think that's the question, the big question that I have. It's like you know, you you ran as a Democrat, and like what else? Do you know what I mean? Like um, that that for me is an issue. We've seen that with racial justice issues and the JDC and like the youth vote about people feeling you know, not enamored essentially with what the democratic members of the board have been doing as well, right? You see more progressive populations not being so happy with them either. And so it's like, where I guess my question is really, where do you stand, rural Crescent or otherwise? Sure, they don't have land that's in the rural Crescent, but this is a count, like land that's not used there is land that's gonna be used somewhere else. So it is essentially an Eastern issue as well. It's an issue for each one of their districts. I mean, look at what route one looks like versus any other major road in this county. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, no, you're totally right. It is it is a county-wide issue. And because of, specifically because of the development issues you were talking about before, like, you know, there are, um, like the Woodbridge district, I mean, it's, it's uh, there's nowhere left to build really there. So you're gonna have to build up 
or um, or kind of do you know um, uh, redevelopment. So like take like they just did a you know passed a big redevelopment project in Woodbridge where you know so that that's what you're left with there is there's no open space left to develop there. So um, you're left with those two options as opposed to out in you know uh, the western districts. Um, yeah, they have had a a big increase in their population there over the last 10 years and, and over, um, you know, and they've, they've uh, definitely increased development there, but there's still this big buffer that they have of the, the Western area, which um, did not really get addressed at the meeting that well, except when Margaret Franklin brought it up and was like, well, you know, you're saying that we, you know, the, the Western side got all this development and the Eastern side has had less, but you just, you, they, they didn't, they failed to mention that there is that the size of the districts are so much different and there's there's a lot of space there. And um, yeah, so yeah, definitely, I agree with you. For me, I feel like if the Democrats on, on the board, like if they really know everyone who they represent, they should be, you know, advocating for affordable housing and the Western side rather than just, you know, um, passing projects that build houses that are not so affordable, but I haven't seen, maybe like I missed it, but I haven't seen anyone, you know, talk about building affordable housing in the Western side, even on the democratic side. So, or maybe they have, I just didn't watch the entire meeting. Yeah. Well, the meetings are like 15 hours long. So only a day, only a couple of people in this county have the patience to do that. You yeah. being one of them. So. Me and the, uh, the Twitter account you mentioned yeah. earlier. <laughs> yeah, um, which I love that. Uh, that. That's one of the best, you know, it's a good resource. Um, it's like perfect, just live, live updates. Uh, but yeah, um, uh, I would say though, the, the, uh, there is an affordable housing ordinance coming um, because Margaret Franklin last year uh, made this directive. Um, so that is really exciting. That's a little, I mean, I guess it does have to do with this topic a bit, but that's a really exciting development because um, what that will do is from what I've heard is require a certain percentage of any any housing development that is approved anywhere in the county. From what I understand so far, um, this is like very preliminary, but it will require a certain percentage to be affordable for a certain, uh, you know, certain groups. So, um, and I think they're trying to make it sort of expansive, like you'll have, uh, you'll have to offer a certain number of units to very low income and then like slightly higher and like a staggered kind of a staggered group um so that is something that's coming so i think that's one thing and that will go along with a lot of the probably with the land use issues as well um is that having this affordable and we have to think about where to put them too right like we can't be selective and say that those all those developments if they're happening on the eastern end and we're just putting affordable housing, like Kikar said, like, you know, we need to make sure that it's happening on the Western end too. We want people to be able to profit from all these trees that you're saving. Sure, except for Supervisor Feka, who apparently killed an entire tree to print out 600 pages. Um, but, you know, shout out to conservation. You know, I think every single episode I go off on a rant and I haven't been really sure about what my rant is this entire time, because I think I'm just upset about so many things all the time. But my rant is really also towards the Eastern people, right? It's about, we can't fault the Western side or these people in the rural crescent for being mobilized. You know, how, however flawed their arguments might be or what they might be fighting for is in opposition to what we're fighting for. We need to mobilize and we need to start talking about the fact that there's an overdevelopment. I don't see people lining up 
to talk at the board meeting about how ugly and unsightly it is to see all of that construction on Route 1 all the time. And that construction stops right as soon as the more expensive development near Belmont Bay comes up, right? We need people to mobilize and talk to their supervisors so that they feel, I mean, unfortunately, they have to be talked to so that they feel emboldened enough to talk about these things on the meeting. You know, um, we need people to say how vile it is, the attacks that have been on Kenny Bodie being called person of interest number one on some of these groups, and a video being released by a Democrat in opposition to Pe Kenny Bodie so that all of the blame can be forced towards him. We already know that the Western side is organized enough to kind of push those narratives and, and to show up at the board meetings. Where are we? I know that we have the excuses of saying that we are people that are working. We are largely from uh, groups that have been marginalized and not included in the talk process and all that stuff. It's time that we make a change on that, I think, and, and really mobilize to say the fact that, you know what, I need a park around here. I can't think of more than a, I don't know, 50 feet by 50 feet park. I don't have anything near my house and I live in a pretty, pretty nice development. The closest thing is Lisylvania State Park to be able to go into it, you know, which so it's I think it's just so unfortunate that all of these mobilization efforts, all of the conservation, everything that they want to talk about, it's from a lens of privileged people that live on the western side, oftentimes, and that are white. And so if they're not going to give us a seat at the table, we're going to break their table, make our own. And if they want to come, if they get themselves their act right and they want to come join us at that table, welcome. But you got to leave your racist attitudes and all the other things that you align yourself with to the side because I'm going to need them to stop taking our names out of their mouths, you know, to stop mentioning our names repeatedly when they're like, well, if we develop on the Western side, then all of that money that you're going to have to put into infrastructure and building schools and all of that stuff is not going to go into the Eastern side where it's really needed. Stop. You know, it's, it's, it's just so reminiscent of the same people giving the argument that we need to open our schools back up because our black and brown kids are suffering and our low income kids are suffering during this environment. No, they're also the ones dying more from coronavirus. So I don't see you speaking about that. So I'm gonna need you to really check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> okay, over and out. Well, okay, so here's, here's my other question then on um, the sort of, uh, smart growth, like how you can balance, um, you know, maybe adjusting these policies um, with the smart growth and sprawl uh, that could come along with new housing. So that is like one that I think is like the big sort of story right now that's also involved in this is like the environmental, like there are real, real environmental consequences to development. Um, specifically, like if you build, if you start allowing a bunch more houses out there you're going to create more traffic and that's going to create more greenhouse gas emissions that's exactly what the the board is trying to um you know the democratic supervisors on the board are trying to fight against they passed that climate resolution that supervisor Bodie had um so it's a tough spot in terms of development i think that's real, really where um this is going to get really difficult is like how can you solve what you all are talking about like you know how can you um open up uh, to a new, you know, have some new land use policies that um, are not considered, uh, you know, exclusionary or segregating part of the, the county, um, but also have uh, keeping sprawl in mind and keeping in mind these environmental goals that I think a lot of people share. Um, I don't know if you all have those goals, but I, I think, you know, you might. So I'm just curious. Sprawl. I mean, I, I've heard it so many times and I think I have an idea of what sprawl is. Just like, like my students at the beginning of class versus at the end of class, is that sprawl? Like how they just spread <laughs> out and, in their chairs? 
Yeah. That's it. <laughs> um, well, no, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, that's it. You know, it's like you can't, um, the problem with sprawl is that, you know, you're not going to, uh, if you create a situation where people um, have to drive places, um, then that's, then that's a big problem at the moment, you know, for uh, fighting climate change. So like what um, the Metropolitan Washington Council of Governments is recommending, for instance, is uh, they, they are doing, you know, they would say, um, you need to center all of the new development like in Woodbridge, because that's the only way you're ever going to get effective public transit there is if you really raise the population of the areas that already have population. So um, for them, they're saying like, if you want the Metro to come to, to Woodbridge, you need to really focus a ton of development there um, and in the areas that already have development. So it's like this, so that's sort of um, in the supervisors and that for them, and I've, I've talked to them about this as well, like, what do you do with, you know, um, with that information? Like if you're gonna allow more development in the rural area, that is going to, um, might hinder your ability to have effective public transit in the future, which is, um, you know, one issue. So I just didn't know if, um, if you all had any thoughts on that or. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there, I think there could be a lot. I mean, I'm sure we're not the first one to start thinking about these um, smart um, growth plans. And there are probably comprehensive plans written already in other localities that we can follow. Uh, it just requires a lot of research and just uh, using those resources to, you know, make something up creative for our county. I'm just thinking, sounds a little weird uh, to think about having to make our area even more uh, densely populated. And I guess there would be obviously more pollution in that sense in order to just start getting better, which would be the uh, public transportation and the metro, like the way we have to get su super bad in order to get just a little bit better or start to improve our already uh, existing conditions that are currently deteriorating as I look out my window and see even more construction going on for a new neighborhood and shopping centers. Yeah, so that it's almost like saying that, you know, exactly what Chloe's saying basically, but the development needs to come first. Like the infrastructure development needs to come first in order to be able to convince people that this is an area and this is a good thing for us. If I see public transportation, I can guarantee you if we go outside and ask people OmniRide or OmniLink um, schedules or where the closest stop is to them, they will have no idea. The fact that that's also not an affordable option to ride that bus. Um, I have no possible way. So I'm living right in the, what does Woodbridge even mean? Woodbridge is still too big for you to be able to use the present infrastructure for them to be able to go to Potomac Mills Mall. Secondly, then you would have to do, I don't know what it's called, but like undevelopment of some of those areas to provide green spaces enough. The fact that we have to look at Potomac Town Center, one of the most commercial things that has been put here and somehow a godsend that we're supposed to believe has a small little plot of green land. And every time I look at that, I get so happy me too. Right? Like, and that's so pathetic that it's like literally a plot of land in front of like a franchise um, movie theater and across from like all of these franchise restaurants, right? I, I want to see like, if you want to treat us like an urban population center, that's fine, right? If you, if you want to continuously talk about the fact that our population supposedly is looking more and more like an inner city and all of those things, and then I'm going to need you to provide also the benefits that we get from the inner city, which is the travel, I mean, the, the transportation, 
benefits, the cultural resources that students are able to access and the community centers that they're able to go to, museums that they're able to go to. Um, I want you to also not then say that our ethnic restaurants or you know culturally um, specific restaurants and businesses, they need to be supported even more so. There needs to be, you know, like if you look at, we have a huge Salvadorian population in here. You know, I would be all for like, let's have a little San Salvador on route one. Do you know what I mean? Like that'll also bring in tourism dollars of people coming and visiting it. You, you want to make us into a Springfield. You want to make us into X, Y, and Z place in Loudoun County by the kind of development that you're attracting because you think that that's going to bring in big tax dollars. No, you know, like we can't, I just, I don't know. Like it's, it, I feel like the onus is always put upon those people that are saying like, Hey, this is wrong. And they're like, okay, well give us a solution. Be like, no, you're doing something wrong. You provide the solution to me. Do you know what I mean? I'm already telling you that it's wrong and I'm being impacted by it. I mean, that's not to say to you, but that's just to say to the fact that, okay, you know, like you're the one that doesn't want development in your area, then are you willing to give away some of your tax dollars and say that there's a higher percentage of tax dollars that we're going to provide to these areas, not just based on population, but also based on future goals, right? To be able to invest to that. Uh, I'm going to need you to give up on a school like Colgan being built on the border of the rural crescent. And I'm going to need you to put it into one of our schools here, you know, that that's on this side. Um, I don't know. That's just my yeah. thoughts. That, no, that's a really good, I mean, all of your perspectives on this is, is really interesting. Cause like, like even you were saying, like we don't hear a whole lot from um, the other side of this argument during meetings, which is where I, where, where I hear a lot of the, um, a lot of these issues come up and we end up writing about it. So, I mean, which is where you exist most of your life as well as <laughs> yeah, room. apparently, yeah. You should start making observations about like, you know, today the walls look a little dark. <laughs> Did they put new paint on here? I don't know. <laughs> There's a new spider web in the corner. <laughs> My name is Mike. <laughs> yeah, no, I could. I could tell you. I could tell you all sorts of uh insane. I think you and actually that Twitter account that we were mentioning need to have a conversation like that would just be beautiful i would watch that live stream if you guys just sat there and like all of the different things do you know that person who picks his nose all the time yeah i never sit in chair xyz because you know that person just to clarify the twitter account that we're i just looked it up just to make sure the twitter account that we keep referencing and a huge shout out to this person they are doing a great job is at little underscore legs um just just look at any of their coverage of any of the events that they have been to. And it's absolutely fantastic. So huge shout out to you. And thank you for, I think I said this on Twitter too once, but like, thank you for your service to democracy. Um, and I think it, unless there's something else, um, Ikra, Chloe, or Daniel, if you have anything else to add, thank you so much uh, for being yeah. with us here again. Can't wait for the next conversation. For sure. We definitely cannot wait to have another conversation with Daniel. But for now, hopefully you all know what the Royal Crescent is or know a little bit more about, you, about it than you did in the beginning of this conversation. To wrap it up in a few sentences, a Royal Crescent is 50% um, of the county's landmass in which public infrastructure is limited. So basically development like we see in the East is not allowed. And it's called the Royal Crescent because it is literally shaped like a crescent it holds no other deeper or philosophical meaning. And as we mentioned previously, there's a controversy around this um, area being developed. Many people support it and some don't for various reasons. And we talked about our stance and where um, the supervisors stand on this issue. And now we will hear Chloe and Mr. Akbar 
Um, by the way, FYI, that's just JB, and, and I have just not been able to bring myself to call my teacher by his first name. But anyways, uh, we'll hear uh, them have a conversation with Elena, who's a executive director of the Coalition to Protect Prince William County, which is a group in support of preserving the rural crescent land. So please join us for this conversation by tuning into our very next episode that is already published. It has the same title, just as part two next to it. And we hope that you learned something from there too. And if you have any questions, concerns, comments, as always, feel free to email princewilliamcolors at gmail.com. Bye, y'all.